Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. Hey there, strangers. This week, we're sharing an episode called The Letters to highlight the kind of premium material we release on our Patreon and Apple Premium feeds. Each month, we put out a bonus episode of One Strange Thing, covering more well-known cases of the strange, inexplicable, and downright weird. Think of it as our usual fare, but with the ability to cover anything, person, or place that we choose. And if you're a premium subscriber, don't worry. We're sharing some extra bonus material just for you as a thank you. So check your feet. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Here at One Strange Thing, we are big fans of a nice, old-fashioned letter. In a day and age where one can send a missive across the ocean with a few keystrokes, there's something to be said for a personal touch. To choose a nice pen and a piece of paper, to scrawl a note, fold up that message, stick it in an envelope and send it on its way, is a lot more steps than one really needs to take in the 21st century. So to know that someone did all of that and was thinking of you the whole time? Call us saps, but that's an almost romantic idea. Almost. Of course, there's another side to this coin. If you open a piece of mail and are greeted with malice, threats, or creepiness, well, let's just say the thoughtfulness that got that letter to its destination takes on a decidedly different tone. In June of 2014, Derek and Maria Broadus probably wouldn't have considered the nuances of snail mail all too carefully. They were busy after all. According to the morning call, the couple had three young children, and there were big changes afoot. The couple was about to close on what they called the house of their dreams a beautiful, almost 4,000-square-foot home in a quiet New Jersey suburb. We get the appeal. 
According to the Associated Press, the turn-of-the-century colonial at 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey, had six bedrooms, three-and-a-half baths, a gourmet kitchen, several fireplaces, half an acre of land, and several elegant foyers. According to the record, the place had been built in 1905 but renovated in early 2014. It was close enough to Manhattan that, according to New York Magazine, Derek could comfortably commute to and from his executive role at an insurance company. But there was another perk. Maria had grown up in Westfield, and this house was in a familiar neighborhood. In the end, the Broadduses bid $1.3 million to buy the coveted house at 657 Boulevard. Pretty spendy, but after all, you can't put a price on perfection. Alas, the dream home would show itself to be, well, less than dreamy. No, not the usual undisclosed issues, the ones that pop up just as soon as you've signed the paperwork, like faulty wiring or termites or a really crappy garbage disposal. No, the Broaddus family would have an entirely new kind of problem. According to the New York Times, Derek got the first letter three days after they'd closed on the house in Westfield. In it, the writer, who referred to himself only as The Watcher, said he'd seen construction crews and inspectors come and go from the house. And, for the record, he didn't like that. I see you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tsk, tsk, tsk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. He'd noted the make and model of the Broaddus' minivan and the number and age of their children. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call them and draw them to me. The Times reported that Derek called the police immediately. But whatever chain of events was set in motion once he did that, it didn't stop the next letter from coming. Two weeks later, the watcher wrote again, and he had gathered some information. The first letter to the family had come with no address, but this time, he'd found out something about them. According to the cut, he'd misspelled Derek and Maria's last name, but he'd gotten close. This letter was addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Braddis. In it, the watcher named the Braddis children in order of age, referring to them by the nicknames Maria would yell as they played in the yard. He asked where the children would sleep, who would have a bedroom facing the street, because it would help him plan better. And, the watcher added, clearly with relish, It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. 
According to the morning call, the Broadus family was, understandably, about ready to call it quits after that. Their move-in plans were placed on hold, and they stopped bringing their children to the house. Perhaps in response, the watcher wrote again, weeks later. Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. Obviously, a frowny-faced emoji was not possible to include, but we feel like it's very much implied. The fixation on the house itself, as much if not more so than the people living in it, led the Broadduses to suspect that their watcher might be a disgruntled person that they'd outbid. But there were a few reasons that didn't seem right. For one, according to the cut, the previous owners were in close contact with the Broadduses. They knew who else had been in serious contention to buy 657 Boulevard. One had withdrawn because of a sudden medical problem, and another had already purchased a different home. And certainly, neither of those parties would do something like this. Were there other options? Undoubtedly. If we were to go down all the rabbit holes of potential suspects in Westfield, this show would likely take two and a half hours to get through. And while some people are apparently into that, we like to keep it brief. So suffice it to say, Derek and Maria had their suspicions. According to New York Magazine, there were, of course, the requisite creepy, reclusive neighbors, and in Westfield, more local politics than you could shake an old money stick at. Maria's family had been in Westfield a long time, and though the town had a wealthy history, it was changing, and fast. Maybe too fast for the liking of some. In several of the Watcher's letters, there were references to renovations destroying the history of the house, and of some sort of family legacy. According to the Rock Island Argus, the Watcher said his grandfather had watched 657 Boulevard in the 1920s and his father in the 1960s. Maybe the Watcher came from a long line of historic preservationists and old habits had just died hard and weird. In any case, the neighbors, suspicious or no, wouldn't end up mattering all that much because the Broadus family never moved into their dream home. Instead, they hired a private investigator, several ex-FBI agents, and a forensic linguist to track down the Watcher. And they sued the house's previous owners. That suit was filed in June of 2015, almost exactly a year after Derek and Maria closed on the house. The AP reported that the Broadus camp claimed that the previous owners had also received letters from the Watcher, and by not disclosing that, had made a deceitful sale. According to the Courier News, they wanted a refund on their 1.3 million purchase price and punitive damages to cover the, quote, extreme anxiety and fear for their children's safety and well-being. The former owners, John and Andrea Woods, they weren't having it. They wanted the case dismissed, and they admitted in a court filing that they had received an anonymous note once before, either before closing on the house or days before they moved out, depending on the source. Either way, they were clear. Whatever the note said, it wasn't disturbing or menacing, and the judge eventually sided with them, tossing the whole suit out. 
At some point, John and Andrea Woods even countersued the Broadduses, claiming that they were being defamed amid all the chaos. That, too, was tossed out by a judge. We assumed the legal community was getting pretty tired of this. The local police probably weren't having much fun either. Even Westfield's mayor, Andrew Skibitsky, was forced to chime in in June of 2015. His office put out a prepared statement that read, in part, I have personally met with the affected homeowners on several occasions, most recently this past Sunday morning, so I am very familiar with this matter from their perspective. Although it would not be appropriate to disclose details of the investigation, to be sure, our police department did go the extra mile to make sure no stone was left unturned. Such efforts have not, however, yielded information leading to charges being filed. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900 plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars? and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes and they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences. They tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to win The Price is Right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring first-hand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. 
Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like? wherever you get your podcasts. At the same time as this legal seesaw, the Broadduses tried to sell the house, which couldn't have been too much of a logistical hassle, seeing as they'd never moved in to begin with. But according to the Courier News, that for sale sign seemed to only bring the wrong kind of attention. A neighbor named Linda told the Courier News, it's a beautiful house and the for sale sign was out there for so long. Nothing in Westfield is on the market for that long. But once Linda saw a news report about the watcher paired with the picture of the house that wouldn't sell, it all made sense. As she told the Courier Press, she wouldn't want to be in her neighbor's shoes. I would have moved. There's a lot of wackos in this world. To be fair to Derek and Maria, they had disclosed said wacko in their real estate posting, which explained the lack of interest. Nobody seemed to want to sign up for such a thing. And when bold renters did finally agree to try living at 657 Boulevard for reasons we personally can't begin to comprehend, according to NBC News, they received their very own watcher letter. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. You are despised by this house. And the Watcher won. And listeners, the Watcher was probably the only person who felt like they were winning in this entire situation. In 2017, the Broadus family filed another lawsuit, this time against the town of Westfield. The only way their property was usable, they argued, was if the house was bulldozed and there were two built in its place, and Westfield's planning committee wouldn't allow it. According to the Associated Press, their neighbors took issue with the idea of smaller lots, claiming they'd be out of character for the community. Especially if, as many neighbors suspected, the Broadduses were making all of this up. And those critics were vocal about it. One neighbor even wrote on Facebook, I wish we could go back to the days of tar and feathers. I have just the couple in mind. Why the solution of building another big house instead of two smaller ones wasn't considered by all, we have no earthly idea. In 2019, after so many years of turmoil, the Watcher House finally sold for $400,000 less than Derek and Maria had paid for it in 2014. It was a loss, sure, and a long road to get there, but we imagine the transaction date of July 1st, 2019 holds a special place in the Broaddus' hearts. With nary an idea, after all that time, as to who had sent such terrifying letters, it was finally over. It might have been, at least except for one strange thing. In 2017, three years after the Broaddus family bought 657 Boulevard and two years before they managed to sell it, another string of anonymous letters baffled, irritated, and even alarmed Westfield residents. And unlike the Watcher letters proper, we know exactly who sent these. 
Right around the time that the Broadduses were trying and failing to bulldoze 657 Boulevard, things around town hit a fever pitch. The whole ordeal was wearing on the family and on Derek in particular. According to New York Magazine, he was spending hours and thousands of dollars on security systems and better fences, improvements to a house that seemed impossibly unsafe. The popular refrain that the Broadduses were trying to ruin the neighborhood and that maybe they were making the whole thing up added insult to injury. Neighbors told national news outlets that they thought the Broaddus drama was dangerous to Westfield's reputation and property values. Might they be doing all of this as part of an insurance scam? A real estate development scheme? A very, very weird bid for a movie deal? But on Christmas Eve 2017, there was a new twist. Hand-delivered cards appeared in the mailboxes of several Westfield residents, all of whom had been vocally suspicious of the Broadduses online. The lady who wanted to tar and feather the couple on Facebook was one of those recipients. According to NBC News, these real bummer Christmas cards took issue with this sort of slandering and brought a violent twist. The writer, who referred to himself as only a friend of the Broaddus family, professed himself to be unstable and implied that Westfield residents shouldn't risk making him angry. If the Broaddus slander was to continue, there might be consequences. He, quote, referenced recent acts of domestic terrorism that had stemmed from mental illnesses gone unchecked. And this meta-watcher with the terroristic ideations? He was, wait for it, none other than Derek Broaddus himself. The whole revelation didn't become public until an intrepid New York Magazine writer asked Derek about it. And Derek admitted he'd done it. He'd retaliated in his own way by sending anonymous threats to his most vocal critics in Westfield. Derek hadn't told his wife or anyone else about these letters, and he told New York Magazine that he hadn't sent any more. After all those accusations of having set up the whole Watcher thing, and for someone so preoccupied by and obsessed with the nuances of receiving menacing mail, it was certainly an odd choice. Threatening the neighbors wasn't going to get Derek and his family any more out of the weeds or any closer to living comfortably in their dream home. Perhaps the strangest twist, though, is that this new information adds a new layer of intrigue to the story of the Watcher letters. Derek wrote the second round of letters. So, could he have written the first? Is this further indication that he could have been the Watcher? And if so, why? What could he have hoped to have gotten from it? Did he want out from under a mortgage he couldn't afford, or a house he decided he didn't want? Or was there something else at play that we can't, or maybe don't, want to understand? And if it was him, well, he soon knew what it was like to be watched, didn't he? By everyone in Westfield. And maybe he didn't like that feeling. And if Derek is innocent, he certainly learned a thing or two about the powers of the written word. How a letter 
judiciously sent can really let people know just how much you care. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Thank you.